because some of these biases are so deeply hidden between us under in us that we have to go deep to really understand what they are and and that's why i said like even i do the work on a day-to-day basis because when i'm doing this i'm i'm learning my own biases as i go through this and it brings up things for me as well right so we're all learners and teachers in this point but yeah i think if we don't have these conversations we can't get to true inclusion we really can't welcome to the create and grow rich podcast now here's your host best-selling author and award-winning teacher janine letford hi i'm janine letford intercultural creativity keynote speaker and this is the create and grow rich podcast produced by cafe intercreative strategies an industry leader and founder of intercultural creativity training most people don't know that your creative thinking is affected by your ability to observe connect and adapt with people across cultural lines and this creative health affects your financial wealth and your company's bottom line So if you're looking to increase your intercultural creative thinking, as well as your financial outlook, then this podcast is for you. On the Create and Grow Rich podcast, we bring you successful entrepreneurs and top creative thinkers who exemplify that creative thinking isn't just artistry, but encompasses so much more. And it's for everyone. For the show notes for this show and for tips on improving your inclusive creative thinking with the seven gems of intercultural creativity, go to cafestrategies.com. That's C-A-F-F-E strategies.com. Now enjoy the show. Welcome to the Create and Grow Rich podcast. I am so excited for our guest today. She is a huge national voice in the area of unconscious belief and bias training. Dubbing herself Chief Civility Officer, Sajil is not your average employment law attorney. Her more than 15 years of experience advising clients, human resources personnel, and legal counsel regarding sound standard employment practices uncovered a need and a personal passion for bringing more proactive, relevant, and impactful workplace training programs to her clients and their teams. Her highly experiential customized workshops tailored to executives, managers, and individual contributors bring the courtroom to the training room in an interactive, engaging environment that favors human stories over compliance checklists. Welcome to the show, Sajil. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. You could kind of just fill everyone in with who you are, your training, and how you got to be where you are today. That'll be great. Yeah, sure. So thank you. Every time I hear that intro, I'm just like, oh my God, wow, that's a lot that I've gotten in there. Um, So this, you know, what I do right now, as you said, like the chief civility officer, that's just because I I started my own business three years ago called Train Extra. And the reason why I did that was because for a majority of my career, I've been an employment lawyer and I've been representing supervisors, leaders in cases that primarily dealt with harassment, discrimination and bullying uh, and some retaliation cases as well. And so that was from about 2003 up to about eight years ago. That's what I did. And so in that role, I worked hand in hand with supervisors and I got to see like a lot of cases with incivility happening in the workplace. And I saw what organizations were doing because, you know, a lot of companies were spending tons of money on trying to prevent harassment from happening in the workplace. So it's not like they weren't spending the money. They were, but it wasn't working. And so I spent a lot of my career trying to figure out, okay, what are the things that we can do 
to proactively address these situations. Because once a lawsuit is filed, there are no winners, right? So, so then after my son was born eight years ago, I started doing a lot of workplace investigations. And that's where I got to see companies from a kind of a nuts and bolts perspective to see like, how are they doing from frontline manager all the way to the top? What are the things in the process and the policy that we can improve? So I got to see organizations from a different perspective. And all of that sort of really got me to the point where I landed, which is now, which is training because that's where I feel that I can make a bigger impact on helping companies create cultures of inclusion, cultures of civility. And so three years ago, I just went for it. I said, you know what? I am passionate about this area. I think that there's a lot we can do just by educating people. And so here I am and I'm lining myself up with people like yourself so that we can make a bigger impact together. Awesome. Yes. I just had a wonderful guest on the show named Vaughn and she basically saw that need as well, but in the area of creative thinking and play and that type of work and left and started her own thing. And we're collaborating on some things. So it's all about collaboration and coming together and bringing our different strong points and suits together to help make a positive change in the workforce. So I thank you for that. So we're going to really just look at your work in unconscious you know, bias training and unconscious beliefs training, but also look at your personal story on how you knew when it was time to jump and what you were feeling, you know, because some there's some people in our audience that are going through that now, or, you know, how do I take that creative idea or that problem solving aspect and really make something of it? But let's focus on unconscious beliefs. First of all, for people who may not know what it is, what is it and how does it affect our ability to work with one another and how I focus on to create with one another? Yeah, so so unconscious bias or what I like to call unconscious beliefs in my training, but unconscious or they even you'll hear it being called implicit bias. What we're talking about there is, first of all, it's normal. Um, everybody, you know, what we what we we see something in front of us. We meet somebody new for the first time. Our brain is hardwired to automatically go back into our memory bank and link it to something that we've been in our past, right? So it'll find some memory. It might've been 10 years ago. It might've been 20 years ago, but it'll find that memory and it'll attach to that. The other thing our brain does is it looks at what attitudes or worldviews have we been exposed to in our life. So it's just part of our hardwiring. We're, we make judgments about everybody we meet, especially when we meet people that are different than us. That's where we have to be careful because a lot of times these spontaneous automatic judgments that we make about people are based on our own life experiences, which then when, when they finally come out years later or when you're looking at somebody differently, they could be inaccurate, they could be wrong. So unconscious bias is normal and, and I, I stress that because you know over the last year especially Janine it's like that word bias has been splashed all over the Twitter feeds of Facebook it's all over and it's kind of like this sort of idea of it's only bad people that have unconscious bias and that's further from the truth we all have it just if you've got a brain you, it's going to happen right the issue becomes learning what your own unconscious biases or beliefs are because then when you learn what they are then you can put strategies into place to manage those right through your current belief system and here's why this is so important is a lot of times what you've experienced in the past like some what i've gone through in my childhood right 
sometimes I'll meet somebody and they'll trigger something that maybe happened to me when I was a child, but that's not the current belief that I hold now, right? And so what you really want to do is as you become aware of what your unconscious biases are, and there's tools that can help you do that, then you can manage those through your lens of your current beliefs. And if it matches up, then they become your beliefs. And if it doesn't, which is what you'll find a majority of the time, is that your unconscious bias or beliefs are actually the opposite of what your current beliefs are. And that's the point I love to stress with people is that we evolve over time, but these assumptions that we're making are part of our hardwiring. And so that's why you have to manage them because they don't manage themselves. You have to be aware of them first before you can manage them. The problem becomes people get so hung up on the word that we use of unconscious bias that they don't even do the work, right? But once you once you commit to learning what they are, and it's pretty easy to learn and figure out, once you start doing this work, you'll be surprised at what you learn about yourself. So I love what you said about, you know, collaborating with different people because we've all lived life differently. We build, we bring different experiences to each collaboration and you know, I oftentimes when I get a new client and they come to me and they'll tell me what they're looking for, I'll pull in someone like you or somebody else to work with me on a project because your perspective might be what it's going to work with this client and the audience that we're speaking to or what we're trying to accomplish there. So I think for entrepreneurs and especially like for people in this area that we're trying to make impact and really change the cultures and societies that you really need to collaborate because there's no way that one person can do it. Like if, you know, we need to hear each other's perspective. And I purposefully actually pick people from different backgrounds, you know, different races, different religions. I try to collaborate with all kinds of people so I can see their perspectives and bring that into my work. Actually, I just did a mini diamond mentor moment right now where I looked at the work of Dr. Michael Platt. I think I'm going to talk about him in every podcast I ever have from now on. I'm so obsessed with the work because I'm obsessed with the brain called the leader's brain. And he talks about what's going on in the brain as you just kept bringing up about unconscious beliefs. And one point I wanted to mention when you said make the great point about we're not even aware what's going on. Something could have been rooted in our childhood Life is so busy. People don't stop and sit and review the past and what are the building blocks that got them to where they are today. Uh, you don't have to give all of your toolkits, but what are what's one or two tools that people can actually do now after they're done listening to, to this show? Yeah, no, I, I, I want to talk about this because this is the kind of stuff that's helpful for people, right? This is what I'm dedicating my life to. Um, but really, so I'm going to give you three tools, right? Three tools, easy tools that you can apply right away. The first is, here's the thing about our unconscious bias or implicit bias, right? It's unconscious to us. We don't know about it, but it comes out in our actions, in our behaviors, in the things that we say, in the things that we do, in our choice of behaviors. It comes out. So find somebody that you trust, that you know, that, that, that you, I would say like that you can imagine holding your hand at the very end when you're taking your last breath that you know is going to be honest with you, that loves you, that truly cares for you. Not the person that's just going to tell you what you want to hear. That's not who I'm talking about. Okay. Cause that's not helpful. Someone that's going to give you honest feedback and ask them, here's the thing. We're afraid to ask people because we're afraid of what they're going to say. But if you truly want to grow, you have to ask ask somebody and, and, and it's not a one-time question, right? You come back to it every couple of weeks and say, hey, can we, can we be accountable 
accountability partners. That's what I've been using that a lot lately, you know, and to say, you know, do you, have you seen me, you know, be, uh, have any kind of preference? Because bias is just another word for preference, right? So ask them, have you seen me prefer one person over another? Or have you seen me have any kind of biases? Because there's over 200 different kinds of cognitive biases that have been identified. That's just the cognitive biases. But then we have our social biases. Then we have our institutional biases. So there's a lot to talk about here. But if we're just sticking to the personal work that we can all do, then ask them, you know, when I make decisions, do you think that I'm being fair? Or do you think I lean in a certain direction? Because we don't realize that we're doing it, but it comes out to people around us. So that's tool number one, is ask somebody that you trust. A second tool is, just like what you were saying earlier, is making that time for self-reflection, right? So when you meet somebody for the first time, you know, you ask, you ask yourself, Am I making an audit? I'm making a quick judgment about this person, especially when they're negative. Pay close attention to these negative automatic assumptions you're making. Wait, wait a second. And we all do it. You know, let's say you're at a party and somebody walks in. You made like 10 assumptions about them by the time they even said hello. Oh, she must drive this kind of car. She must have gone to school. It's just our, our brain is wired that way, right? But we don't really stop to think, are these becoming our beliefs because of what we're automatically assuming or do we really have objective facts to support these beliefs so whenever you have that initial reaction and i would even go for far to say even if it's a positive reaction towards somebody or a negative reaction stop slow down your thinking because that's the that's really the difference between our unconscious thinking and our conscious thinking is a matter of speed that's the main difference. So if you just slow down and do what you were just saying and think about, you know, wait, a second, why am I, why am I feeling this way about this person? I just met them. I don't know anything about them yet. I'm already making these judgments. So asking yourself those questions. So for example, I had it happen to me um, when a couple years ago, when I was actually, I was doing all in-person training. I was training uh, in Southern California actually. And I did a training and the flights, it was a rainy weather and the flights were all delayed. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna grab a, grab a quick bite to eat at the airport after my training before I came back home. And so I went to the airport, it seemed like everybody's flights were delayed. There was a lot of people around and I found like, went to a restaurant and it was packed. And then I saw one empty seat, right? So what do we all do? When we all see an empty seat, most of us are gonna look to see, okay, who's sitting next to that, that empty seat, right? Before we take it. So I did that. And on the one side of the seat was a, a gentleman that was sitting there. He had a mohawk, like up to here, all different colored tips. He had better looking jewelry on than I did, right? Like he just stood out, right? And I was like, whatever, I'm hungry. I'm just going to sit and eat. And what he told me in that conversation, and, and I did. Initially, when I first looked at him, I did have a like, oh, okay, do I really want to sit there kind of moment, right? And so that's just being honest. That's what I felt like. This person stood out a little bit. So I was like, okay, you know, but I didn't. I overcame that and I went and sat. What he told me, like I use this story in almost every single training I do. He says, Sajal, do you know how many people came and stood right where you stood, looked at looked at the empty seat, looked at me, and then decided not to sit there because of the way that he looked, you know? And we make these judgments about people that we don't even know. Well, guess what? I sat next to him, right? And we started having a natural conversation. He turned out to be one of the coolest people I've ever met. Like he, first of all, I, I wish I would have met him before law school because what he told me was, he's like, I'm a hot air balloon pilot. And I'm like, what? That's a career option? I had no, I had no idea, right? 
but he flies around the world competing in hot air balloon competitions. He owns his own hot air balloon company in Vegas. And it just happened that a month later, I was going to be speaking at a conference in Vegas. And he was like, look, give me a call and I'll take you on a hot air balloon ride. So I did. So we got a champagne like hot air balloon ride. My point being is that we write people off or we judge people based on our automatic assumptions. I say challenge that when you feel that way go the other way. And obviously you don't want to put yourself in risk, you know, and they're a dark alley. That's a different situation, right? But, but that's how you're going to rewire your brain is by paying attention to those snap judgments that we make and then going the other way and giving that person an opportunity. So that's the second tool is paying attention to these automatic reactions, especially the negative ones and questioning yourself as to why you're doing that. Before you jump into the third, third tool, because I do want to get to that one. I just want people to really understand the significance of that story. If creative thinking, if that's the number one skill we need in the workforce, especially going forward after the pandemic and everything and the essential eight technologies that are changing the landscape, if creative thinking is now the number one skill, the major component that it sits on is openness to experience. And when you think about openness to experience, that includes people. I'm going to use your analogy, which I think I should label one of my chapters it. How many hot air balloon rides are we missing mm. as we walk away? Love it. You know, and that really quick, that makes me think of a story. I was at Target. This was two weeks ago. And the woman asked, I think what I did, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm speaking now and writing that and And I just asked her, what does she do? She was an older woman, maybe 50s or so. Turns out like she was a tree farmer and a worm specialist or something like that. And when she was working at Target and of course, you know, you think of, okay, cashier, Target, you know, you, like you said, you, it automatically happens. You're not bad because it happens. It, it hurts us because we don't challenge it and manage it. Like you said, and say, wait, I don't know who she is. Let me stop thinking that way and ask questions. And she had the most amazing stories taught me all about trees and worms during our checkout time. But I love your experiences because I love hot air balloons and the color. How yeah. many hot air balloon rides are we missing in our life because we look the other direction? Yeah. So those are two great tips. Hit us with the third one. And so the third one is simple. It's an online tool. It's free. It's called the Implicit Association Test. And it was created by a bunch of bigwig psychologists from Harvard, from University of Washington, University of Virginia. They got together and they created this online tool. And like I said, it's free. So it doesn't cost us anything. And it's broken out into different sections like race, religion, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, et cetera. And there's a lot of different categories and you sit down. And again, like I said, bias is just another word for preference. And we all prefer some things over others. So it makes you go through and you look at a bunch of different images and you say good or bad, or it makes you do these associations. And then afterwards, it'll tell you that you have a potential or a likelihood of bias. That's amazing information to know about yourself, right? Because now you know that, hey, I tend to lean this way. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. That just means you have a natural, because of what you've gone through in your life or what you've experienced in your life, you have a natural, you lean this way, right? And so now that you know that, you can make better decisions. If you don't know that, then they can interfere in your decision-making without you even knowing about it right? You're not even aware. It happens in a blink of an eye, right? So I'll give you another story. I'm huge on these stories because this is what it's about. And, and 
And I want to make it very clear. Like, I know I appreciate that you said I'm a guru in this area, but I'm learning just as much as anybody else as I do this work, right? And I'm sure you can say that. And anybody else, that it's, it's an everyday learning process. I don't consider myself a guru. I'm just talking about what I've gone through, what I've seen, what I've learned. I'm definitely not a brain person. So, um, you know, but but we know what scientists have told us and a lot has happened over the last decade. And so this is the thing. It's like, you know, um, so my story. So let me ask you this question, right? I'm Indian, okay? And if I know you've listened to some of my podcasts and you know that I have a real personal passion behind the work that I'm doing because of what I went through as a child, right? And so when one of the first cases I had when I worked as an, when I started working as an attorney was a Indian woman filed a complaint against a white male. She claimed that he was harassing her and he was bullying her. I was harassed and bullied as a child. I'm Indian, right? Now you would think my natural preference would of course be towards her because I can certainly relate to her experience since I'm Indian and I've gone through that, right? But actually I didn't. I didn't have a natural preference towards her. I went the other way. And the reason was, again, because of what I've experienced, right? What was the thing in this case that made it so interesting is she had an accent, an Indian accent. My parents had Indian accents. So the reason I was bullied and harassed was because they had an accent, right? So I had a negative bias against Indian accents, which I didn't learn or I didn't realize until I came face to face with that situation. That's how dormant these biases are. They, they, they go on forever until you're actually placed in that situation again. And then you got to pay attention and say, oh, wait, that's, I just met her. And why am I making a negative assumption about her? Right. So, but because I'm doing the work and I've done my work and I've done a lot of self-reflection and learning, I knew what to do when that happened. And I just did what I told you is I, I, I used to challenge myself to say, wait a second, I got to stay neutral here. I got to stay fair here. And so I put into place some strategies that help me do that. And so to do the work, you've got three tools now that you can, everybody can start using. And as you do this work, you'll pick up on these assumptions that you're making and you'll learn more about yourself that you'll be able to catch yourself quicker. So it won't impact your decision-making or who you're going to connect with or not connect with. Right. So it's, it's very important work. I love that. I love that. You know, in my trainings, I love to bring in the arts, even though I'm really big about creativity is not just the arts, it's problem solving, problem finding and the creation of value. But I bring in the arts because I believe the arts can really help you see things from multiple perspectives. But another aspect which people may not think about is the arts are very emotional. They can conjure up different emotional reactions music, you know, actually all, all the arts, you know, visual art, drama, music. And when you're an, a musician or an artist, you are told to really get in tune with how your body is reacting to these emotions. And of course, when you're in drama, you have to. And I love that because it made me more in tune to be more emotionally aware, that empathy ability and to understand why I'm feeling an emotion. When I think about your story, like you had to really feel that your body was reacting in a certain way with that auditory activation, right? Mm -hmm. That auditory response. And a lot of people don't have that acuity. They don't have that ability really refined. And that's why I bring in the art so you can practice it with, you know, a non-triggering thing, just, you know, music. Hey, how does this 
piece make you feel or how does that visual art, you know, how are you responding to it? So you can get that ability for when you're in a situation like you are. Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. I think, and, and again, like we, I think what we're both, you know, realizing and knowing is that this is an ongoing process. You got to try different things. You got to keep learning about yourself. You got to get to those places where you're having these really uncomfortable conversations. Like that is embarrassing for me to admit that, that, that I have an accent, you know, I, but I've overcome that now. Now it's no big deal. Like now I'm just like, I, I can, I still kind of feel it. Because it triggers me, right? But then I say, no, okay. And then I'm, I'm able to snap out of it like really quickly. But imagine if I didn't do the work. Imagine if I was an HR professional at a company and I had this bias and I wasn't aware of it and I didn't know what to do about it. Because it, it happens without us knowing it. A lot of these decisions that are being made uh, about who we hire, who we fire, who we promote are being made without people really doing the work on their bias, right? But if you do the work though, then it gets easier because now you could pick up on it quicker. You understand yourself. And really, again, I go back to that thing about just, I think it's very easy to see it from a perspective when you think about it's our unconscious thinking is happens at the speed of light. And we're just trying to slow it down to say, you know what, is this, is this assumption I'm making about this person? Is this really how I truly feel right now in, in light of what's going on in front of me? Or is this something from my past that's coming back to me right now? And if you say yes, again, it's just making sure your current beliefs are in line with your biases that you have. Now, biases can be good or bad. I give that example because it's a perfect example of more people would more likely say one way and the answer was actually the other way, right? But it could be good things too, right? Like we, we're all hardwired to one of the... Um, Ones, like I said, there's 200 different kinds of cognitive bias, but one of the ones we see that's very common is affinity bias, right? We are drawn to people that look like us, that talk like us, that think like us, right? And that remind us of us. And so that's not, that's, that's just how we're hardwired. I mean, if you look at little babies, right, when they're little and they see a stranger, what do they do? They scream at the top of their lungs. I mean, it, it happens at like three months old. Um, so it's just our hardwiring. But we all know that diversity and diversity of perspectives is the right way, is the way that we want. It's not a nice to have, it's a must have, especially if you wanna survive as a business or a company going forward. Um, but so, so be, doing these little tricks that we've talked about, these tools, and then understanding what your own, what I call blind spots are. Because once you know what they are, now you can put into simple processes in place and they don't have to be complicated. You know, so for example, if you're having a meeting, you want to make sure you're inclusive during your meeting. A simple process you can put in place is let's round robin. Okay, Janine, you go first, Sadio, you go second, you go third. Now everybody has an opportunity to participate. Very simple tweak to the meeting, but now everyone feels included, right? So there are things that we could definitely do to change to mitigate those biases. But again, you have to first make that first step commitment that I want to learn about what these thoughts are that so that I can actually do something about them. And now you're really getting into the psychological component. Do you feel as a trainer that sometimes you wade into waters that are just really like people need to go and now seek professional help? Because sometimes you are reopening wounds that they work really hard to just ignore and close. 
you know, that, that are inspecting their, their work? I, I'm working with corporations. And so typically I'm being brought in by a company to do some workshops for them. So I don't see a lot of that um, from the work that I do. But I'll tell you what, like I've done a lot of unconscious bias trainings. I've done a lot of talks on this. And usually it's a positive outcome. It's not a negative. It's not a triggering trauma outcome. Um, I don't do the deep work on like white supremacy or anti-racism or privilege. I don't go that deep. My function is I want to talk to people about how do we help you understand what your own bias? Because at the end of the day, every person has to do their work, right? Until we can do that, those deeper conversations still need to happen. So I'm not saying they don't, but that's, in my opinion, that's a, a later conversation. I'm, I'm at the front end. So I don't get to that level of, okay, now we're going to have to work through that. That being said, I've done a lot of panels and I've talked to a lot of people and I've been attending a lot of things on those deeper areas. And yeah, people do. It, it does because some of these biases are so deeply hidden between us, under, in us that we have to go deep to really understand what they are. And, and that's why I said, like, even I do the work on a day-to-day -day basis, because when I'm doing this, I'm, I'm learning my own biases as I go through this, and it brings up things for me as well, right? So we're all learners and teachers in this point. But yeah, I think if we don't have these conversations, we can't get to true inclusion. We really can't. And as you've mentioned, for organizations and companies, true inclusion and diverse perspectives it's key. I mean, it's needed for innovation on all multiple levels. There's a concept that I read called the onlyness of you for out from the Harvard Business Review. And I loved it. She said where people are coming in and no one in that organization has had the set of experiences and the set of special demographics. And that's just the set of identities, the unique identities that you have, you know, like for me, of course, you see me, I'm an African-American female, Christian faith, you know, five, seven, but you know, I'm, I'm a twin. I've been, you know, on several continents. I speak multiple lang languages. I karaoke, you know, all of these aspects that just make me uniquely me. And I thought about that when you were speaking about the gentleman, the, the hot air balloon of the cost, the organizational cost that we're inviting people to our organization and then we're asking them to be like everyone else, right. you know? So what does that look like in your, your work? That's right. And, and that's where we have to really realize like how deeply ingrained some of these issues are. Like when we talk about the systemic isms, you know, there is a, I mean, until you start to do the work and really see how far back it goes and how deep it is into everything. And in fact, I just posted um, a, an, an article, not an article, but it's like a 75 page article by McKinsey and Company just this morning on, you know, black employees in, in private sector. And it's a 75 page report. Okay. And it talks about just how it goes all the way back and talks about where we are and what we need to do to be at equity, get to equity and, and how long it's going to take and the work that it's going to take. And it, 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 it just highlights the fact that there's so much learning we have to do. And I'll be, I'll be, you know, I'll be frank here. I mean, I have had social justice in my blood since I was a teenager. I've been in this, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I went to law school and the work that I do today. But I've learned so much in just the last year that I'm ashamed to admit that I'm like, wow, I can't believe I didn't know all this stuff before. Like, I'm embarrassed about it, really. Like, I'm like, 
how and I'm in this I'm in this fight you know so it's not about and and it's not a comparison between different experiences you just named out so many wonderful things about you that I just learned about you right now right it's not a comparison either I think we're starting to see some of that happen you know I was at a panel yesterday and there were two black uh, panelists and they were head to head with each other on one person's view about how we're going to heal and the other person's view on where he was in his journey. And, and it was, and, and it's starting to happen where we have to remember that the only way to break down that whole divide and conquer paradigm, that's really the reason why we're here right now, right? You can call that white supremacy. I call it divide and conquer, whatever you want to call it. The only way we break through that is through unity. That's the only way we get through that. So, you know, we're all going about it in different ways and that's okay. You know, like, so my approach, for example, in the work that I do is civility. I approach it from a civility angle. Some people might look at that and say, well, what about this deeper systemic issues? And I go, that work needs to get done as well. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm out there doing it all. No, not one of us can do it all. We need to all come together and really approach it from a humility standpoint and look at it from and, and again, this is something I posted yesterday about greater allyship, you know, it, it's, it's not one competition. I mean, it is what it is. Those are the facts. But from here on out, how do we move forward? It's going to take total allyship across the board. Otherwise, it doesn't work. We don't move forward. That is very true. The unity aspect mm -hmm. of it. And how could we really get that? To me, when there's no intercultural development, that is the work now because it's intercultural creativity. And yeah, you're coming at it from the civility and I'm coming at it from the creativity and, you know, of we got to, in order for us to be creative, we have to be civil. <laughs> we have to be interculturally competent to be able to perspective shift and see other people's points of, of view, mm -hmm. as well as our own, that self-awareness, that self cultural awareness is key. So I love the part that you you bring up. And really switching to your personal story of, you know, how long you were working in corporate and then really what, you know, you touched on, on it in the intro, but what really, how are you feeling when you made that jump? Yeah, it was scary. It was really, really scary. I mean, I I never had a plan to go out on my own. I mean, my parents own their own businesses. And again, negative reaction to owning your own business, right? Because I grew up where I never saw my parents. They were working all the time. So I, I was like the last person you would think would want to go out on their own. Um, but, you know, it, it, it boiled down to when I was practicing, when I was a defense attorney, it definitely wasn't the right fit because I found myself actually resolving conflict versus litigating conflict, right? So I was supposed to be a defense attorney, but if I, if I thought the, the supervisor did something wrong, then I was out there convincing the company that they should pay the employee something because there was, a, you know, so I was always trying to resolve conflict. So that wasn't the right fit. Um, I did a lot of those workplace investigations. Again, I wanted to make a bigger impact. I really wanted to help proactively. Investigations, lawsuits come too late in the process, right? If we do it right from the beginning, we shouldn't be getting as many complaints and lawsuits. So I still wasn't feeling like I was at the right place. Um, when I started teaching after my son was born, that's where I found my passion, where I was like, this is it. Now I can really help break down some of these concepts, help people understand it from a different perspective, really sort of um, figure out, the way I look at it, it's, it really boils down to basic skills that we all need to have 
communication, how to resolve conflict, what to do if you're in a situation where you're feeling uncomfortable, right? It was a lot of that kind of work where I saw that organizations were spending a lot of money, but what they weren't doing was spending it on that piece, which I like to call it like the cognitive diversity piece, right? So you're, you're spending a lot of money on diversity, but not the cognitive diversity aspect of it. So, so that's why I go at it from the civility standpoint, because in, within that civility standpoint are all those skills about how do we communicate? How do we resolve conflict? What do we do? And then I think it's just really important that what I saw as an attorney was a lot of people weren't speaking up about and people don't report these issues. But when I started doing these investigations, I was like, but a lot of people knew about what was going on, but nobody was doing anything about it. So a huge part of my civility training that I do is bystander intervention, because I think that is critical. And I think organizations don't spend enough money or enough efforts. Maybe now it's starting to change, but still not enough from what I'm, what I'm seeing. But bystanders are crucial. It is really their responsibility to speak up when these things are going on, right? Because if I'm at work and someone's hurling microaggressions at me all day, I'm dealing with the mental anguish of what's, what I'm being put through. Now, if I want to speak up and if I can speak up, then I should. We encourage people to do that. But it shouldn't be on me to now have to educate him and, and really kind of go through that process. It should be everybody else that's seeing these microaggressions. They should be the one addressing it. So we have to then give those people, we have to empower those people with the right skills, with the, even giving them scripts to say, here's how you handle it. Here's what you say in these situations, literally. Because here's the thing, we're all, we're all raised differently. Mm-hmm. How we communicate, our personalities are different. How we resolve conflict, all of this is different. So if we want to have a shared way of doing it, we need to teach people what that shared way is, right? We can't assume people know. So back to going back to assumptions, let's not make assumptions, let's make sure that there's facts to support it and that we support each other, you know, and, and so it, it all boils down to I think both of our work that we're doing is making sure that organizations are focusing on creating cultures where there's psychological safety, right, where we can have these conversations with each other without feeling, fearing that we're going to be retaliated against or we're going to be viewed as a troublemaker, you know, but encourage those conversations ahead of time, not wait for it to get too late. Yeah. And there's one thing as, as opposed to, you know, just listing it in the policy, but actually seeing it walked out, you know, and there's a term called social contagion, which it shows that, you know, emotions can be caught and transferred. So if someone sees, you know, someone dealing with microaggressions or dealing with, you know, speaking up yet being retaliated against, that is, you know, caught and transferred. And so we really need need to be mindful of that. But I love that concept of bystander intervention, Mm -hmm. empowering people. And that goes back to your allyship, correct? You know, empowering people to protect the culture of psychological safety and speaking up respectfully. Ah, Yeah, there's so much work Mm -hmm. there to, to, to do. Yeah, and it really needs to be done, and it's it's not a one-time thing with any of this stuff. It needs to be continuous. You know, I think that the other thing that I'm I'm kind of this last year has shown us is that you know you really want to take a look at who are the people you have in your organization, and then create a plan based on who you're dealing with. There's no here's a one-size-fits-all solution to this problem. You really have to look at what are the issues that we're dealing with. So. I had this happen where 
um, I was, I had a new client come in and I was doing my intake with them. And we realized that they were already having like multi-generational conflict happening because of bias within the organization, right? So, so when they're thinking about the, their comprehensive plan, their DNI plan, they need to have a component of unconscious bias training. Yes, every organization should, but specifically dealing with that multi-generational bias issue because that's the type of issues they're dealing with. So you really need to look at and figure out how are we going to do this. I think it's very important to do a combination in that training if you're if you're focusing just on training because it, it it has to look it's a systemic thing, right? So you got to look at it from all. But if we're just talking about training, then you want to take a look at am I going to have live trainers come in? Because I think that some of these topics you definitely need live trainers or virtual trainers to be able to have like analysis of situations and a creative space where people can ask questions, which you can't do if you're just clicking a button and going through a bunch of different slides while you're multitasking, checking your LinkedIn and feeding your kid on the side and watching the stove and doing your laundry because now we're at home. So we're doing it all right. That's not going to work. Right. So figuring out, like, I think it's important to do a mixture of let's do some live in-person training, some virtual training, some weekly burst of like 10 minute, you know, things that you're sending out to your employees. And then how are you going to monitor that? And how are you going to do it? How often? So you really have to look at a lot of, a lot of those pieces. And so I always tell companies, like, if you're just going to check a box, you're never going to get to psychological safety because everybody is going to know it. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to know if you're really doing this, you know, it's like when people were issuing those black boxes. Okay, great. What does that mean? Where's the action behind the box? Like where, that's what your employees are looking at. They're not, they don't care if you just put something out on Twitter saying we support our black employees. What have you done to support your black employees? We want to see action. And now is the time for action, right? So we really need everybody to get on board and do some stuff here so we can move forward, you know, together. Yeah. It's the perfect shift time right now because people are awake and people have been jarred out of their normal routine. Mm -hmm. So 2020, 2021, we are shifting. So, wow, so much information there. And I probably know that we could go on for hours because you are an amazing person with just a wealth of wisdom and also just fun to talk to as well. I just remember, I don't even know how I met you. You were on someone's podcast. I was like, I need to meet her. So I think <laughs> I reached out to you and you were just so sweet and so, so kind to really connect. And you're also on the Cafe Intercreative Strategies website as one of our speakers. So I'm excited mm -hmm. to just, you know, share your work there and just get you and your message out to the world because it needs to be heard. So as you know, I'm the Diamond Girl and that's our logo because we believe everyone should shine bright like a diamond and we are multifaceted. There's so many angles that we can shine bright through mm -hmm. and we want to hear your gem. What is a gem of wisdom that you could leave us with? where we are right now in our world, it's very important to figure out and take care of our own mental well-being. I mean, that is, you know, I've really learned so much in the last year about the value of taking time to just get away from the news, getting away from social media, get, you know, I went off of all the other social media platforms just on LinkedIn and really being conscious of the fact that look, the race is the race is a train to nowhere that everybody's on, right? Like, Find your purpose, find, ask yourself some hard questions and figure out what is your purpose. And, and I, a simple tool I want to just throw out there is why. Ask yourself why five times. Like why am, 
what is, what is my purpose? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And really tight. And, and it doesn't have to be where you quit your job and you do all that. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying whatever that purpose is, if that purpose is family time, if that purpose is making an impact in our world, if that purpose is raising, a, whatever that is, do more of that. Because here's the thing, you know, it, it, at this point where we are right now, what we all need to do is work on ourselves. If we all just work on ourselves collectively, the change will happen, right? So spend the time looking in, figure out what your purpose is and do what you can to align your actions with your own purpose. And everybody's purposes are different. And if you just focus on that, the change will happen, right? So everybody just needs to do that. That's the only thing we can control anyway. We can't control what the people out there are doing. We can't control what... You know, we can't control all of that. I wish we can change everything. If we can just go like that and change it all, believe me, I'd be the first one to do it. We can't. But what we can do is focus in on ourselves and how can we show up as better allies for everybody? How can I be a better ally for white people? How can I be a better ally for brown people? How can I be a better ally for black, for human beings? And just do small things every day. If you could do big things, do big things, but do something. Don't be silent right now do something. And even if that's selfish for yourself, if it's going to make you better, if it's going to align you with your purpose, that's fine. Right. But so that would, that would be my soapbox moment. <laughs> your gem, we'll call it your, your okay. gem. Because you are, you're right. In order for us to shine bright, we have to keep that in mind. Just ask yourselves why and have our purpose clear or working towards clarity and just making sure we're not wasting time and we're here to be an ally others. Wonderful, wonderful wisdom. Thank you so much. If people wanted to find you and hire you or check out your work or just where you are online, where can they find you? Yeah. So I'm on your website, right? Um, I, the only, like I said, the only social media website I'm on is LinkedIn. So welcome to follow me on LinkedIn. You know, I, I truly believe in putting out good resources and information. Like I said, I put out that 75 page report, which I think every single person needs to read. Um, so I, I really look for solid factual information that's helpful for everybody and I'm constantly posting it. And I'm also posting on there like when I'm speaking at panels and what I'm out there doing. And then the other only other place is my website, which is trainextra.com. And I have a blog section there where I'm always posting out, you know, different podcasts that I'm on and so forth. So never hesitate to drop me a line because if I can't help you, I'm I'm more than happy to refer you to somebody within my network that might be able to better assist, right? Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for just sharing your wealth of wisdom on this critical topic that we definitely need just to move forward, to work well together, to really celebrate and appreciate everyone's diamond gifts. And of course, what I talk about for us to create and innovate together and find some of these solutions we need for our global problems. Definitely can't get there without unity and without celebrating and working and integrating our gifts together. So we really appreciate you. And thank you, audience, for joining us for the Create and Grow Rich podcast. And don't forget to check out Seven Gems of Intercultural Creativity coming out in the spring of 2021. And go check out her website, check out her work. She has great videos. I just watch them over and over and over again because I'm learning as well as I build my practice as well. So definitely check her out. And don't forget to live a life of intercultural creativity. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
Thank you for tuning in to the Create and Grow Rich podcast, where your creative health supports your financial wealth. If you'd like to contact Janine or ask her a question, email her at podcast at creativewealthacademy.net. That's podcast at creativewealthacademy.net. Thanks again for joining us again today. And don't forget to live a courageous and creative life.